time of somber reflection. It's a time where we focus on uh, the death of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's not something that we like to reflect on a lot because of the ignominy, the shame that Christ went through. But uh, let's look at it because it's good to focus on his sacrifice for us. If you've got your Bibles, John 19, we're picking it up at verse 17. And we pick it up there and it says, So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to the Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. When the soldiers that crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that it was all now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, so that bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Uh, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other, who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, thanks again for your word. Lord, quite an interesting description that we've read about your death on the cross. And Lord, as we look at it today, we just pray as we study your scripture that you, through your Holy Spirit, will guide us into your truth. Lord, help us, even though sometimes we are very familiar with this, again, look at it with fresh eyes and say, Lord, speak to me through this process. And we, again, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the movie The Titanic, as the ship sinks, the rich men on the ship begin to scramble for the inadequate number of lifeboats, pushing aside women and children in their desperation to live in the movie. In the film, the sailors are compelled to draw out their guns 
and fire pistols in the air and, go, and yell this, stand back, women and children first. In reality, however, when the Titanic actually sank, no such action was necessary. The testimony of survivors was that the men on board the ship instinctively hung back, urging the women and children into the few lifeboats that were available, sacrificing themselves so that women and children might live. John Jacob Astor, one of the richest men at that time, uh, was also aboard that ship. He dragged his wife to a lifeboat, and when he pushed her on board, he stopped and went back. When he was urged to climb on board, he too refused. He said, no, women and children only. And that was a story that was repeated over and over again on that fateful day. When the New York Times reviewed the movie, the Titanic, the producer and director of the film were asked in a review, why did you distort the facts? The reviewer's answer went like this. The reviewer, the reviewer said that had they told the truth the way it had happened, nobody would believe them. So let's, mount a, let's change the facts so that, because the whole idea of men substituting themselves or sacrificing their lives for the women and children without compulsion didn't make sense. In John chapter 2, verse 13, John goes on to say that Jesus sat down for a meal with his disciples. It was a reference to the Lord's table as he prepares them for the fact that he's going to die and rise again. That was the Passover meal itself. And Jesus took the elements of the Passover and passed them to his disciples. We see in verse 16, it says, He took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is poured out for you in the new covenant of my blood. He's speaking again about his death and what it really means. A lot of times people today really don't quite comprehend Christ's death because we really don't like to talk about it. And then we move from the Last Supper to Jesus' trial. And John keeps the Passover always ahead of us as he's going through the Gospel of John. In John 18, verse 19, uh, the religious leaders bring Christ to Pilate's judgment hall. But they won't come into Pilate's judgment hall lest they be defiled because they don't want to be defiled by contact with a Gentile before the actual Passover feast, because that was one of the rules. In John 19, 14, we're told they had a mock trial. There's condemnation and crucifixion, and it took place on the day of preparation before the actual Passover. It was actually about the sixth hour that took place. Remember that the original Passover was the pivotal point in Jewish history for the redemption of Israel from slavery. And they continue to celebrate that day. They've celebrated that day ever since. Because, again, it was a reminder that for 400 years they've been in slavery and bondage, and through the Passover, which we're going to discuss a little bit more, they were delivered because of it. So this great member was commemorated. Lambs were slain. There's a great redemption taking place. And here the Lamb of God was going to take away the entire sin of the world. As I mentioned last week, uh, the historian Josephus in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, actually says at that point, he took a guesstimate, but he said over 250,000 lambs were being slain in Jerusalem on that day. It was one bloody mess. 
But yet, this is what they did. In John 19, 31 to 36, as we get closer to the passage we're looking at today, it was the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. And the Jewish system was not to leave uh, the victims on the cross on the Sabbath day. The Roman guards uh, had to break the legs of the two men that were crucified to speed up the process of death. They said, did they really crucify people like that? And the answer is yes. And there was actually an archaeological dig just a few years ago where they actually found somebody that had been actually crucified and still had the stake through his heels and through his wrists because any other place the body would not hold itself up. They actually put a little seat on the cross so that they could put their butt on the cross a little bit so they hold themselves up. And yet, remember that the original Passover... Not only was it the pivotal point for the Jewish nation, but it was because of the Passover that God's people went free. Think about it. Because it wasn't with all the different plagues that God had brought through Moses upon the nation of Egypt, it wasn't until that final Passover when the angel of death came through and, and they were told, you need to take a little lamb into your home and you're going to feast from that lamb but you are to take the blood and put it on the sides of the door so that when the angel of death comes through, your family will be spared. But for the Egyptians who did not follow that, of course, every firstborn son was killed in that process, including the Pharaoh's son. And that was what brought redemption to Israel. They never forgot that. And so when they came to Jesus... They didn't break his legs because he was already dead, which was actually a surprise. Because if you read in one of the other Gospels, Pilate expressed surprise that within six hours Jesus was dead. Usually it took about 36 hours as they just drained, their lifeblood drained out on that cross. And so they were surprised by that. John says this, these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. It was prophesied. When John pointed to Jesus on that day on the banks of the river Jordan and said, when Jesus approached him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes the world's sin away. He was born that he might die. He was born that he might take away our sin. Paul tells in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Again, remember what the Passover meant? The nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt all this time. And Moses told God he's, he's going to send the angel of death through to redeem them, to, to deliver them, because he said, when this happens, he said, Moses told the people, pack your bags, get ready to go, because when this thing goes down, you're going to get the command to go right away. You have to be ready in earnest expectation that when this happens, when this event goes down, you're going to be getting out of there real fast. And so the angel of death did pass over. And then Pharaoh finally said, go. And the blood of the Lamb was a, signal that the, was a signal that the sin had been paid for and that justice had been fully satisfied. John has been telling us that this all was designed by God to be a picture which points us to Christ. So the Passover Lamb, the whole thing that went down with the Jewish system, was again a picture so that when people looked at that, they would recognize Jesus the final Lamb of God who would take away all the sin of the world. It would be a picture to remind them this is what it's all about. 
at the cross, uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for all of God's people, that anyone who believes might not die but have eternal life. His blood is now recovering. Somebody says, you've you got a bloody gospel, you know? And, and some people say, I don't, I don't like hearing about the blood, the blood, the blood. But the thing is, it's the blood that washes away our sin. It's the blood that makes us whole again. It's the blood that gives us new life. Without the shedding of blood, Scripture says there is no remission from sin. Why is that such a huge emphasis? Because we live in a world that makes light of sin. We live in a world where it's, sin is no big deal. We live in a world where following Jesus isn't a big deal either. And so people say, you know, what, what's this bloody religion all about? It's to remind us that our sin cost Jesus his life. Our sin had to be paid for. And Jesus paid that price. There are two implications that come out of the story here. I mean, first of all, there's, there's only one way to be right with God, and that's by means of the blood of the Lamb. You must have the Lamb's blood over your door uh, if the angel of death is to pass you by. Unless you're covered by the blood, it's over. You need to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in order to have eternal life. You need to not only confess your sin and ask him to forgive your sin because he's the only one capable of making your life whole and clean again. But as I talk about that, I, I think to myself, how often do we as believers make light of that? How many times do you say, oh Lord, uh, forgive my sin in Jesus' name, amen. No, that's great, we're good. Um, and I think there sometimes needs to be a more, uh, what I call a thoughtful response that when we sin, we need to remember Jesus shed his precious blood because that sin is what separated me from God. That sin is what destroyed the relationship between God and man for so long. And when Jesus shed his blood, it was because of my wicked sin. Don't ever in your life get to a point where you make light of sin. You say, what, do people do that? Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and share and find out that there's things in their lives that they made allowance for because they think it's sin is no big deal. It is a big deal. And somebody says, why do you think it's a big deal? Well, I think it's a big deal when you really stop to really comprehend what Christ did in going to the cross for you and I. For many of us, we saw Mel Gibson's film. Um, and uh, when we looked at Mel Gibson's film, I think I don't remember ever seeing such a, a bloody Jesus in all my entire life. Because as you saw the whippings and the beatings that Christ took upon himself, I remember people walking out of that movie theater with me and we watched it and saying, I'm never going to sin again. Because when we saw what he went through in that portrayal that Mel Gibson did of Christ's crucifixion, it just, it just, it was just... Uh, overwhelming to see because sometimes we, we can gloss over scripture oh, Jesus died for my sin thank you Jesus move on motor on there has to be a sense that we sometimes just slow down and remember that it's only through his blood that we have fellowship with God the Father and it cost of his very life the second thing that we need to understand about Christ's substitutionary death that if you do trust him 
you don't belong to you anymore. Do you hear me? If you put your trust in Him, you don't belong to you anymore. You have been bought with a price, the Scripture says. You've been bought and paid for. In 1 Peter 1, 14-16, we're challenged. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Not only have you been bought, no longer are you not your own, You've been paid for, and now you are to live your life honoring and glorifying God in every aspect of your life that you do. You belong to Jesus. You are His. He's paid for you with His life. So how dare you live your lives according to what you feel is right, Live your lives according to what you think is best and left Jesus out of the picture. Christ calls on you to live for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Your Word. I challenge all of us, Lord, never ever to take light of Your sacrifice on the cross for our sin. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, we just pray that we'd take time to reflect on your great sacrifice on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Trevor?